Start to lengthen the breath, inhaling for a count of five, and exhaling for a count of five. Just relax around the breath. If the count of five is too short or too long, you can adjust.
your breath come back to its normal pace. Let the eyes and the forehead soften. All the tensions melting. Feeling a smile through the eyes. Feel the jaw unhinging. Slight smile at the mouth. And the tongue relaxing all the way down to the root of the tongue. to the whole neck, softening, feeling the throat fill the whole neck, and all the tension just melting out of the shoulders, just dissolving. down the arms, feeling the length of both arms from the inside out. And the hands softening. And softening again. Just let the belly go. Taking full, relaxing breaths right into the belly. The whole base of the pelvic floor Feeling from the inside out. And being aware of the length and volume of both legs. And finally, pressure, coolness on the feet, tingling.
switch the awareness to feeling the whole body and let go of any sense of doing anything. You don't have to change anything or do anything or act in any way. being aware of everything that's happening in the body. The open and receptive state of awareness. You can hear all the sounds around you. The space inside the body continuously spreading out through the room and everything beyond. Continuous space inside the body and outside. Just resting in clear, present awareness. Whatever sounds come, come and then they go. Same with feelings, sensations in the body. Tension comes up in the body somewhere, bringing your focus there and relaxing again. thought comes up, just relaxing into the open, spacious awareness again.
meditation with a dedication of your choice. Maybe thinking of someone in your life who needs some help with something. meditation, which Lauren already knows, but it's mostly from Tara Brock. Um, and it's really amazing because I don't think I ever really enjoyed shamatha before and until like going into it that way. Mm-hmm. It was always like, for me, it was more of like, I was like doing more things and like think tighter and it was just how I was taking the teachings that I had had, you know, other people may have different experiences, but it's really amazing for me, her way of, of guiding, and maybe I was just like ready to hear it too, but Shamata is way more enjoyable for me, before I would be like having to like push myself every time to do it, or to stay there, or it was like some sort of struggle each time. Live? No. I, she has a ton, like 20 pages of meditations on her website. Um, so I, I've just been doing those. Does she live in Berkeley or does she live on the East Coast? I thought she lived on the East Coast, but I really have no idea. I don't she know why I thought that. She lives on the East Coast, too. I think that's. I think she seems talks to be about where it in teachings her are. Yeah, and it's like she talks about it in her books. But maybe, I mean, her books doesn't mean that she's living. Yeah, I know I read, I read at least one of hers a while ago. Maybe I'm just like more ready for what she's teaching at this point mm-hmm. in my life. Because before, Lama Me was always recommending her, and I was like, <laughs> I mean, she's okay, but it didn't like her really connect. Yeah. <laughs> so. I know. <laughs> Okay, so we're on class seven of Escaping Uncertainty, a study of Buddhist ethics. Class four? Seven. Mm-hmm. Is that the right title of the course? Are we only on class seven? I thought we were on class eight. Mm-mm. Is it a study of Buddhist ethics? I thought it was something else, too. I thought 
Maybe I copied it down wrong or something. Yeah, next week is eight, and then the seventh is class nine. Tonight, we're going to be going over the kind of person who can grow the individual freedom vows. Um, so say, so the kind of person who has the foundation, or say 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 means foundation. That was like, it's the, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Now it works. I know. Are you talking about the picture or about it working? No, I was talking about the picture, but it worked last mm -hmm. night too. I think maybe it's the sequence in which I do it. Like, I enlarge the PDF first, and then I press the full screen on the PDF thing, and then I press it on the keyboard. That's what I thought I was doing. I don't know. We, we have different karmic seeds ripening for <laughs> Um. So this building fell down. That's on its side. Wow. And it all stayed together. It's crazy, because it didn't have a strong foundation. Um, so... Foundation is something upon which something else rests or is based upon. And that's what the individual freedom vows are. And in the Vinaya, 10 refers to an appropriate body and mind with which to take the individual freedom vows. If you're not a 10, you cannot take them. For example, animals can't take them. Out of the five realms, only the humans can. Not even a deva or a pleasure being can. Why do you think that would be? Because well, they probably wouldn't want to. Or like they wouldn't like need to or think it was important. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have the required motivation. In any realm where things are too smooth in their life, then they're not a 10. The hell realms can't either um, because they're... They're just in too much pain all the time to even think about something like that. And if they're, what Gesh Michael says, if they're too stupid, which is in the case of animals or pretzels. You know, not that, you know, like stupid has a different connotation. I think of it differently, but they don't get it. Like, you can tell animals. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At least it seems that way. Okay, so those who possess any of the seven characteristics, the following list, are ineligible to take the vows. The first one are beings who live on the northern continent of unpleasant sounds. Do you guys remember what this is? It's kind of similar to one of the hell realms. There's four main continents. These beings live on the northern continent and they always live a secure 500-year life. Therefore, they don't have renunciation. We live... Do you guys know what continent we live on? The south. Yep. We live on the southern continent. Wait, are they... You can't see these beings, right? Or northern continent? Like, if we... Are we capable of seeing them? I don't know. I can't... I mean, it's not, I don't think not so. They're not talking about Earth. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 
not this content. Okay. So we're on the southern continent. Just before these beings die, they hear some voice in the sky that says, tomorrow is the day you will die. And that's why it's called unpleasant sounds. So they can't get true renunciation because there's, they're not going to die unexpectedly. There's no, there's no chance of that because their lifetime or their lifespan is fixed. Number two of those who are ineligible to take the vows are those who are impotent and unable to engage in sexual relations. And this is because the male and female energies give you strength to practice. You could call them hormones or something like that, but if you don't have them, your mind cannot be strong-willed enough to keep a vow. These hormones give you some kind of firm-mindedness or willpower to keep the vows. Third are neutered persons who lack sexual energies. And he doesn't go into it, but there's ten different kinds. There's five female and five male. And this would be someone who doesn't have either of those energies or something's wrong with the energy. They're neither male nor female. They could have been born that way or maybe had an accident of some kind too. The fourth are hermaphrodites who lack pure sexual energies. So they have both sexual organs at the same time and they don't have a pure sexual identity or energy. It's kind of mixed. The fifth one is anyone who's committed one of the five bad deeds or immediate misdeeds. Do you guys remember what they are? Doing your wrong. Doing your wrong. Well, I mean, you could say that for one of them, but not technically. Uh -huh. Doing the Buddha. Yep. Trying to hurt a Buddha. Yeah. So you can. Killing your mother. Like stealing from the five jewels or the three jewels, I mean. The five jewels. I don't remember the names of all that. So, mother, father, mm -hmm. Arhat. Mm -hmm. Do you guys remember what an Arhat is? You could say that, which would be what? Would it? Like, what, what would be the goal in the, the Vinaya school, or the, that way of thinking? Or what would be, come before total enlightenment? It's like the band. Wait, what? It's like the name of a band. Oh, my God. It starts with an N. <laughs> yes. Yep. So an arhat has reached nirvana. Um, trying to hurt a Buddha with evil intent, 
and then causing a schism in the Sangha during the time that Lord Buddha walked on this earth. So right, we're safe from that one. Only in this lifetime, not in prior lifetimes. Like, what if you did? You mean if we did it? One of those things in like a prior life. I don't know. I think it's usually talking about this lifetime. I know we've done everything. We probably have done all those things, like countless yeah. times. Yeah, I think I think it's referring to this lifetime. That's always been my understanding. Um, yeah, because if not, then we could never take the vows again. If because we would have done everything, and been every relation to every person. So I think, it, I think it would be just this lifetime, just logically thinking about it or working through it. Number six are the vows won't form or they're ineligible to take the vows imposters who pretend to take the vows from curiosity or any other insincere reason. They hear what's, there's going to be a Buddhist ordination. They want to write a paper on it or do some research. And basically, nobody can attend who isn't taking or giving the vows. Someone in ancient India, or sometimes, they would pretend to take the vows just so they can see what happens, just because they're curious. Basically, it refers to ripping off the knowledge or stealing it. Instead of what? What would be the other, like the true motivation? Yeah, to be fed up with the ups and downs of life, constantly being thrown from good thing to bad, to good to bad, you know, over and over and over again. Number seven are people who don't believe in karma, rebirth, or past and future lives, which are kind of, you know, the main, the big main ones in Buddhism, basically. The two... So the reason being that their mind and body cannot support a pratimoksha vow. And so, did you take yours already? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of us, all of us can, can take them. And we already did. <laughs> but then, would you just, if you were one of those things, like the, say, the sexual one, yeah. And it was really, would you just be prevented from taking it or like? My sense from all these teachings is that they just, they wouldn't form. If like, are you asking if someone was and nobody, like no one knew? It just wouldn't happen in the first I think it just, the vows wouldn't form. If if it's like if someone, if you know that someone is, it sounds like they wouldn't be able to take them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I can't remember if we talked about it already. But it talks about how they just won't form either. So you can take them, but they won't form in the body, or in your energy or your mind stream. Refers to 
th I think it would be both. But it... Because they're unable to engage in sexual relations. I think they could be both. Mm -hmm. I mean, we usually use that word in relation to men. In our culture, at least, but there can be there can be women who are unable to engage in sexual relations. But these were also, I think, most of these were taught to an audience of men. A lot of them. Because um, you know, like a woman could have some sort of I don't know injury or just maybe it's like something where it's really painful and they can't... Yeah. I feel like I knew somebody like that, actually. No, because what if you are, but then you aren't, aren't later in life, like menopause or something? Well, just because you've gone through menopause doesn't mean you can't engage in sexual relations, though. Because what this says is, I don't know if the um, definition of impotent that we're thinking of is the only one. Because it seems to say more to me, oh, we're on the next page now, um, <coughs> that you're unable to engage in sexual relations. Maybe just that sounds more like things just aren't working correctly. Mm -hmm. And I'm not connected to the other. Yeah, because in that one, um, it's talking about, you could call it hormones or something like that, which would lead to your mind not being strong-willed enough. Like it was a bad thing? Yeah. So I was like, oh gosh. Well, that might be, I guess, I think it depends how, like how you're doing it. But I think we went over this last class too. If, as, if none of the, like if we're not doing any of the acts that are said to be harmful in sexual relations, which we went over last class, then there, there's nothing in Buddhism that says that to consenting adults that that's bad, having sexual relations. There's nothing like that. I think that's more in our, our culture from Christianity. I don't know if it technically says that in the Bible, but I've, I know that I've heard that as like a teaching or, you know, a guideline. So there's, I mean, it, it, your sexual energy has a lot of power and spiritual, it, it can give you a lot of spiritual power too, so being careful how you use it and, and not using it sometimes can be really helpful too, for just for spiritual practice. But it's not, it's not bad either. So most, I think most of these things are like, it depends, that's the answer to a lot of a lot of guidelines, but then some of them are very black and white too.
Okay. How do you lose the individual freedom vows? Have you tried connecting to the internet? Because mm -hmm. I wasn't able to connect last night for Mark. And it won't connect now. I wonder what happened. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just being funky. Because it doesn't even... I don't think it's... It shows it's connected. It's just not phoneating up. Okay. How you lose the individual freedom vows. Say, Tongwe Gyu. Tongwe Gyu. Tongwe Gyu. And that means lose and then vows. Oh, no, it doesn't. Lose vows and then what makes you. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is how you can lose the vows. A are general causes of losing all the individual freedom vows. And the first one, say Lapa Pool. Lapa Pool. Lapa Pool. Which is precepts and then to offer. This one, you're basically formally giving back your vows. You're returning the vows. The vows are taken for life for reasons of renunciation. You can formally give them back in front of an ordained person or a Buddhist statue. And there's a short ritual where you say, I can't do this, basically, and I, and I give these back. Which just seems really sad to me, actually. Mm -hmm. um, you swear to take these for the rest of your life in front of all the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas who are literally there when you take them. So really the only motivation to take them is that you're sick of this life where relationships are doomed, your body's doomed, ultimately all of our, our health is going to go downhill. You know, everything is doomed. So you're tired of it, and that's why you're taking the vows. And so... They're meant to help us quit struggling to make it, life go right through external causes, which will always go wrong. And it doesn't seem like you can give them back if you still have any idea of that in your mind. Everything falls apart, and things won't change until we use the vows to reach nirvana and then ultimately Buddhahood. So I, it's hard to imagine how someone would give them back. And at the same time, you can't judge anyone who decides to do that. Because we can't read their mind. We don't know who they are. And it could be that some tantric deity told them that their problem is pride and that they have to formally give the vows back in front of everyone or something like that. We, we have no idea the reason that anyone else is doing anything. So we can't judge them. We can judge ourselves because we know what's going on. You know, we can say what's going on, but with other people, we can't. So that's the first. The second, say she poo. She poo. She poo. She poo. She poo. This means to die and move on. Basically, we automatically lose all the freedom vows at death. The 
Third one, se sen ni jung. Sen ni jung. Sen ni jung. And so sen is sex, ni organ, jung two. No, I don't think that's right. I don't know how it correlates. But generally, it's sex organ two if they appear. Basically, if the opposite sex organ emerges, which we, we looked this up the other week, and it, there is news of this happening. And from what um, Gesha Michael says in the courses, it's all over scripture. It's not there just once. So apparently, it used to happen a lot. I don't know. I guess maybe it could happen these days. We just don't know about it. It seems wild to me, but I have no idea. That one disappears and one appears in its place. Uh huh. Like one turns into the other. The one that when I looked it up, it was, I think, in South America somewhere. And it was when girls were going through puberty and they would turn, like, have the male sexual organs start to grow or appear. And they would turn into a man more. I know, wild. So, like I just said, this is all over the Vinaya. And apparently things like this were not unheard of in ancient times. The fourth one, say, Len Sum Gear. Len Sum Gear. Len Sum Gear. Okay, this one, len is times, sum is three, and gear is change. So if you change gender three or more times, like what I think what we were talking about in the last one. If you change sex once, it's okay. If you change it twice, it's okay. But if you change three or more, then you lose the vows. That would be really dramatic. I think once would be traumatizing enough, but three times, oh my god. The fifth say gas gay sa che. Gay sa che. Gay sa che. And basically this one means if you destroy the root of your accumulated virtue. And this is, these things are really good to hear because every time we hear these it, think it helps to prevent us from ever doing it. But Geshe Michael Roach talks about that he's met students who go through a really bad time and they go to a teaching and they say this is all garbage and they destroy their virtue. So those are the five general ways to lose your freedom vows. I kind of, I think just hearing this sort of thing enough times, I think like when I've, when I've got any little sense of something like that, this sort of teaching comes up. But it's also being well trained, I think helps prevent most of these things. And that's what these courses do. Because after these courses, they're, all these courses are amazing. They're, from what Geshe Michael did, they're basically a mini Geshe course. You know, it'll be like Bebe, Bebe. 
<laughs> we'll be baby geshes by the time we're done. Um, and really well-trained Buddhists compared to even today, I think 95% of the population of Buddhists. And from what, um, who was I talking to? Well, from what I've heard too, or over this in one of these classes, it's Westerners that will carry it on as well. It's Westerners who are really interested in studying deeply. You know, it's kind of like maybe because of the newness or, you know, ultimately some karmic seeds, but it's Westerners even in this country and I think in others that are really studying the Dharma and will keep it going. And that's part of the scriptures too. It, that's a, um, there's a better word than prediction, but it's been predicted or um, some, some other better word that you can imagine in your mind. <laughs> so like it's been said that it'll be carried forth by Westerners. So that, I think that's how by studying and becoming really well-trained to where in difficult times we think about that's when we rely on the teachings, not when we give them up. Because really, that's when they're really helpful, I think. Mm -hmm. They're really helpful all the time, but when something bad is happening, they're very, like, extremely helpful in all of the practices. And, you know, they're meant to be kind of like our lifelong companion and like a dear friend that we grow with over time and who's always there to help. Okay, so those are the five general ways to lose your freedom vows. Let me get Julianne. Okay, and now we'll do the five specific ways, and then we'll take a break. So these are how you lose the individual freedom vows, but we're on B, we just did A. B are the specific causes of losing specific individual freedom vows. The first one say Ni Shu Malun Dershe. Ni Shu Malun Dershe. Ni Shu Malun Doesn't this sound like, this one kind of sounds like a different language other than Tibetan. Mm -hmm. I find that with some of the Tibetan words. Like Dershe, that doesn't sound like any other Tibetan words, really. So this one is 20 years old, didn't reach, found out. Basically means that you lose your full monk's vows if it's discovered that you weren't 20 years old when the vows were taken and you're still not 20. So I guess this implies if you are 20 that you, you keep them when it's discovered. Normally, a monk in a Tibetan monastery has all three sets of vows. I think this point is really interesting. They'll have Pratimoksha vows, Bodhisattva vows, and Tantric vows. So Tibetan monks, maybe you may see them behaving differently than other monks from other countries because that's not the case of all um, monasteries, all monks. So most of them have all three sets of vows, which is, I think is really cool. Two, say ten chir ke lang. Ten chir ke lang. 
Ten Shir Kelam. Ten Shir Kelam. This one's kind of crazy. So these are for monastics, these two. Um, you lose your intermediate nun's vows if you agree to have sex with a man. This is a specific way where the nun would lose all of her vows immediately, and she's only agreeing to do it. She hasn't done anything yet. So just by agreeing, she loses all of her vows. The third one, say Ning Shak. Ning Shak. Ning Shak. Oh, Nin Shak Day. Nin Shak Day. This is the one day vow ends after 24 hours. So when you take that one day vow, the way that you lose it is after the 24 hours. So that's one of the ways. And then there are two additional ways to lose the vows. And this is according to the sutras and the Under the Sun School. Apparently the Vyabashka School needs more names. <laughs> so I guess they're called the Under the Sun School. The first one says Sa Tum Jungwa. Sa Tum Jungwa. Sa Tum Jungwa. Sa Tum Jungwa. Okay. This is if you commit one of the defeats, you instantly lose your vows. This is the very most serious four vows for monks and eight vows for nuns. And then the second one. Say Dam Chu Nupa. Dam Chu Nupa. Dam Chu Nupa. Dam Chu Nupa. This one means if the Holy Dharma disappears in the land. So these two schools, the Sutras and the Vaibhashika schools, they say you would personally lose your vows if this happens. The Dharma disappears in the land. But the other schools say, come on. That is the Holy Dharma. The vows are the Holy Dharma. If someone has their vows and are still keeping them, that's the Dharma. These two that we just went over, they're not accepted in the school of the Vinaya in Tibet that we study. Um, but these two schools do believe them. How, uh, so the Tibetan Kashmiri Detailist School, which is what we are, believes. Did I have a? Yeah. Look. Believes say Bulun Nordenshin. Bulun Nordenshin. So they believe this metaphor, or our school believes this. I've never heard to our school um, referred to as Kashmiri Detailist School before. They believe that having the vows is like being a very, very rich man, and that breaking the vows is like owing a debt, which is huge, which is huge, but smaller than the riches. So what they believe is that the vows can be irreparably damaged but not lost by committing one of the defeats, which 
we're talking about monks and nuns here. If they broke, say a nun broke the vow of killing, and if someone says, how is your vow of killing doing? They would say, in this metaphor, that they're broke. You're okay. -E. I don't know that there's another way to spell that. <laughs> but I was thinking there was in my mind. <laughs> um, but then regarding their other vows, they're very rich. You can't ever bring the vow back to its full strength. At this point, it's only if you don't hide it that you don't lose your vows. Also in the monastery, when these sorts of things happen, you might get demoted or something like that and put into a lower position. Okay, I think we'll take a break here. I love this picture. Iron Man. Oh, that's. Yeah, I guess you're right. Me too. I thought I was. I thought I was. Yeah. But now I definitely do. Mm -hmm. I Glasses get so dirty. I've been. I need to wash my little cleaning thing. Because whenever I bought new ones, they don't work very well. It's like the ones that come with the glasses are the best. But you guys don't wear. Neither of you wear glasses, do you? I really don't. Glasses. I just don't wear. Have you used the spray? And then. No. My mom gave me this spray from Costco. Is you it buy it at Costco and then they refill it for free. You just buy it one time and then you go there to refill. Oh. Because I really like it when they're really clean. I see some people, I'm like, how do you even see out of your glasses? Like, you can see <laughs> fingerprints like all over and they're like all foggy. I'm like, how are you seeing? <laughs> Like, I, wa I clean mine off multiple times a day. They just get dust, though, too, so mm -hmm. half the time I can just blow it off. Okay. All right. When we reach nirvana, nirvana is permanent, but then we need to wake up and get bodhicitta for Buddhahood. Or we're on the bodhisattva track, so most likely we're not going to have to do that. But if we reach nirvana, we'd have to wake up and get bodhicitta for Buddhahood. Which, if you think about nirvana, you're completely content, no problems, nothing's bothering your peace of mind. It could be hard to wake up to bodhicitta from that place. Because everything is great already. You're totally blissed out. And in theory, you're, you wouldn't be thinking about others. And then the bodhisattvas come along, and they would try to wake you up in some way and get you going. They would whisper th something in your ear, or do something to try to push you along 
to the Bodhisattva track, which is going to get you out of the cycle of suffering completely. I don't remember going over this before. The Bodhisattva track is, number one, true renunciation aimed at yourself and others. Also known as what? Number two is a bodhisattva's understanding of emptiness. Three is the bodhisattva's direct perception of emptiness. Four is the bodhisattva going through the process of removing their mental afflictions and their obstacles to omniscience. Five, total enlightenment. So when we reach nirvana, our mind can't be shaken from a very stable contentment, which sounds completely amazing. At the same time, the outside world can be complete chaos, and it probably will be for a while. But your mind is totally in this golden window. Nothing can shake it out of that state. Enlightenment is beyond that. And we have this goal of taking all other beings to the same place. Then we enter enlightenment and we do it so that other people will be able to join us. That's what a bodhisattva is, or that's bodhicitta. And if we do it with a tantric teaching and a proper personal transmission from a qualified tantric lama, then we can achieve this in this life very very quickly. And it's a very subtle process. If we don't do it just right, studying Tantra, it's a complete disaster. So it's a very subtle practice and subtle as in like tenuous or um, very sensitive. We need a lot of purity and a lot of devotion to pull it off. And the re... And why would we want to do it quickly? Why would we want to reach enlightenment as quickly as possible? What's, what's the point of that? Why not just wait lifetimes and lifetimes? Yeah. Because, and bodhicitta is for ourselves and for others. So we're suffering, but that's not usually a big enough motivation for us. Other people are all suffering just as much, if not more from what it seems like. So we can't, we just can't wait and let them keep suffering. We have to do it now. That's the motivation for studying Tantra. Because Tantra is high risk, high gain. High possible rewards, high possible risks. Hmm? Well, it's kind of like we won't go into specifics, but it's kind of like supercharging the whole practice so that things are happening a lot more quickly. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong with that, but the point of it is to get us to the goal faster as well. So it's something that we will have to just learn about when we're at at that point. 
or when we're in the tantric teachings, um, or from maybe one-on-one -on -one with, with our tantric lama too. And I don't know all of the risks, um, but I know that I think we can get even a taste of it just when we push too hard in our practice. You can get, um, physically, things can get messed up with your energy, with your body. It can manifest in like pains in certain areas from pushing too hard or just from some new thing coming up that we haven't dealt with before. So it's, I don't think it's always that we're pushing too hard. Sometimes it's a good thing, but it can end up in like pain or you hear about people who, Mark was talking about this last night, so I know we, you could talk, we could talk about this, but where they'll um, like blow out their inner body from staying in retreat and having severe lung for too long and their body won't go back to a state where their energy is balanced enough to be able to reach enlightenment in this lifetime. So it's really a sensitive thing. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to have a teacher to help guide us who knows about all those things and can tell us, I've seen that happening, I've been through that, you know, like you need to back off. And then sometimes we go more full on and it's kind of like testing too because we don't really know where our limits are until we reach them. And then we just have to know what to do at that point and have someone who can help us. And usually from what I've seen, it's, it's mostly like relaxing or taking care of ourselves, you know, taking like hot baths, doing more things that are soothing, eating heavier foods, all the things that you hear about for alone are the same things, because it is, it is lung, which is like an oh, energy or wind imbalance in the I body. You eat more food also. Heavier food, <laughs> yeah. More food can help too, yeah. Like be more grounding and stabilize, or bring the energy down a little bit, because usually it's like going up like crazy. When you're on a retreat, or like when you're also going practice in your home, just in life. Mm -hmm. Like when it's I don't know. Because I, I was experiencing some pain the last several days and, and then um, I've been working on this my recovery program, mm -hmm. and then it was just, it's more intense this time, and then just things I, you know, go through, like, intense anger, and then um, come down to, like, a plateau feeling normal, and then, you know, just a lot of different things, and then not relaxing. Mm -hmm. So just yeah, a good a good thing to do for that is 
some of the things I mentioned, like when you're going through those sorts of things, I think when we're going through those sorts of things, we tend to feel like we have to like keep going too, like we have to keep pushing and we can't rest at that time. But that's really like the best time to find some way to do some self-care. Like that's how I started doing more of the Tara Brock um, meditations online because Lama Ami suggested that to help to calm my energy, my body down. And it really helped like two days of doing those meditations made a huge difference. And she suggested a few different ones and I just, I chose that one. So doing things like that, like if you're doing some sort of, if you're going through a lot in your life, taking a break from a more intense practice and doing something a little more relaxed and like listening to the meditations is almost like I'm, I'm watching them or something. Like it's not as, there's not as much effort in it. So I can just, I can do the supine position laying and just relax and listen to them. So over time, we'll, you start to like get tips from you know different teachers or your heart teacher, and then you you build up like this arsenal of tools that you have. So when we're you're going through something like that, like just taking extra care of yourself, maybe using like a lot more oils on your skin and taking warmer bath or shower, eating heavier foods, like just more nourishing things, like doing things to take care of your body, of, of your mind, maybe not being online as much, relaxing, reading a book, or, you know, like, so when things are really crazy, doing something to counteract it, even in, you know, even in the relative world, because that's where we're living, so it's really helpful. It's kind of hard to remember sometimes, too. But just do just a few small things can be really helpful. Like keeping the body warm too, is is just helpful in itself. What kind of foods? Like more oily, heavier foods. If you if you eat meat, I find meats helpful mm -hmm. for grounding. If you don't, um, like the classic one always given is like buttered popcorn, or I make, I like roast veggies with a bunch of olive oil a lot. Um, maybe cheeses. I don't eat cheese anymore, so I don't remember how it affects my body. But just heavier things. Peanut butters, butter. Not a lot of sugar, not a lot of caffeine. Alcohol is probably not a good idea. Yeah. Like, not, because I usually have, <laughs> like, two cups yeah. in the morning. The so morning. if you're feeling really anxious, it might be good to cut down on it for, you know, until you feel more balanced again. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to stop it if you're going to start going through, like, withdrawals and having headaches and stuff like that. That might not be helpful. Mm -hmm. But just... Um, easing up on it, or maybe having tea instead or something like that. I don't think you would still go through the caffeine withdrawals if you were having it in tea, which might be more soothing to your body. 
never had that before until recently. Yeah. Like, um, at your heart you have it? Or it, chest? It's almost in my throat. It'll feel like my heart is, like, beating through. You know what? I find it to be really helpful, too. You might, um, like, do a lot of singing. Just, like, get the energy moving and let... Because it sounds like you're, like, maybe stuffing something down or not saying something or not letting something kind of, like, flow. Mm -hmm. So singing and then maybe, like, dancing. I found that to be helpful, too, when when I was feeling really a lot of loony energy. Kind of recently, I would listen to songs that I really liked and I would sing, like, really loud to them. And some of them I would dance to, and it gets it gets all of the energy flowing and moving. And so if it's all con- kind of like concentrated here, doing that, or maybe even like massaging around your neck and you know doing like some more exercises where you're getting things moving and yeah. Okay. All right, with Tantra, like we were saying, we need a lot of purity and devotion to pull it off. Um, Because the essence of the world is still a result of bad karma and our afflictions from the past. That's still what we're seeing because we haven't purified all of that yet. Our body's still getting old and things are still getting messed up in our lives. But our mind is totally holy when we've reached nirvana. That's what we're talking about. A person could still reach nirvana and be completely embroiled in in controversy, have lots of negative things happening in their life. So just because someone has a lot of things happening, we still have no idea who they are. They, They could be a Buddha. They could have reached nirvana. We have no idea. It's not a reflection of their spiritual attainments or something like that. Because it could be that they're clearing out all of like the biggest things too. And that's why a lot of things are happening for them. But if they reach nirvana from their point of view, they'd still be incapable of being unhappy. And this is, this is kind of funny. Geshe Michael talks about how he's worried about this class, this course, because he thought it'd turn out really differently when he was teaching it, he thought there'd be somebody shaving people's heads at the door um, because everyone would want to become a monastic. So he says instead he's going to try to talk us into taking lay vows at least, which all of us have already done that. But he's going to talk us into it anyways. Um, Because we can get to that nirvana if we just keep those vows that we all have. And this is really sad. I haven't seen this or heard this personally from people, but he talks about how people are always coming up to him and saying that they've been doing their tantric sadhana every day for years, which that in and of itself is kind of rare. You know, like not, not everyone studying tantra is doing their sadhana every day, number one. But they've been doing it every day for years and nothing's happening, or they've been doing their practice every day for years. Nothing's happening. And the thing is, if we're practicing well, then things should be popping off all day long. 
And if they aren't, we can go back to these Pradimoksha vows because they're they're the secret or the key. There's some hidden spiritual energy or power that changes everything in our spiritual practice. And if we take them and keep them, it'll affect our spiritual body immensely. If we keep our Pradimoksha vows perfectly well, we won't even need to have a tantric initiation. Tantra will just start to happen. And so we've all taken these vows, and if we keep them really, really sincerely, if we try to be always be honest at work, which is really refreshing, and it can be really fun keeping the vows too. Honesty is, it just makes life so much easier, that, that one for sure. These vows and keeping them will permeate our being, and then there's a catalyst being creative, being created. So if we have that and we keep it nicely, some amazing things will start happening in our lives. And it's not, it's not like it's just boring tests and quizzes, you know, with all the courses. There's something really amazing that will come from all of these things. And, I mean, what else are we really doing that's more important? So we've all taken them, and if if there's someone who hasn't taken them, he's saying you might as well take them, and if you don't like them, you can always give them back. And what he talks about in this class, too, is I found this really interesting. If He's talking about if we work in a tough environment, and you feel that you can be strong enough to stay there, then it's good to stay there and practice, to work at our capacity. And he compares it to a lotus that, because lotuses grow out of like this big ugly pool of grossness. And it's the same with the bodhisattva, they shine in the worst crowds, in the worst kind of office, surrounded by seemingly the worst people who are all doing lousy things. So if you have the strength, stay in that environment. But if you feel like it's affecting you negatively and you can't avoid it, then it's good to get out of it. And I I actually, before I heard him talking about this, I kind of was thinking it was always good to get out of it. But I can see how this would be completely true. The idea is, as with all of the vows and the bodhisattva vows, or being a bodhisattva, is that you don't give away your arm at the beginning because you'll regret it later. You start out with vegetables like carrots, potatoes, peas, and then you work up to it. And at a certain point, a bodhisattva can reach into their own eye socket and rip it out and not feel the slightest disturbance because of it. So if somebody needs it, they would do that. But if we overdo it, then we'll end up quitting. And there are people who do that. They give all of their money to a Lama and then they quit because they're like, oh my God, what did I just do? Now I have no money. So we start with the freedom vows and keep them really, really strict for a few years. And the really good thing about samsara 
is that sooner or later it reveals its true nature. And from what he says in this class, sooner or later, these little, the small little fragile lousy happinesses that we have will all get smashed. And then we'll say, oh my gosh, I have to take ordination. Or I have to do something serious. I have to really do my practice and really start to practice full on. And if we're keeping the vows the way that we've talked about, they should be really joyful and fun. I kind of think it's not the, you know, it's not the thing in the West that we have where they're punishing or we've been bad and so we have to do this. I think even though we've, we've talked about how that's not the case, I think there is some sense of that still when we're practicing them or when we say vows or ethics. It's still like it's embedded for us because we're in this culture. And we can retrain ourselves to think these are like a set of wings that someone's given me. Like it's a precious gift. And I still remember this. I think Geshe Michael was talking about this where like, you know, someone who's really miserly is up counting all their money at night and we can be counting all of our vows and feeling like we're so rich because we have so many vows and you know like the more we have they're just more wealth and more riches that we have okay let's see so the next one the benefits of taking and keeping the individual freedom vows. Okay, the first one saying Neka. Dog? Or sneeze. <laughs> that was a really weird sneeze. <laughs> um, say Neka Tribu Lami. Neka Tribu. Nekap Drebu Lani. Lani. Nekap Drebu Lani. Okay. This one means number one, you avoid rebirth in the three lower realms. The second one, say Tartuk Drebu Jangchub Sum. Tartuk Drebu Jangchub Sum. Tartuk Drebu the second one, this one means you will reach the three enlightenments. Do you know what those are? Commitment of body, speech, and mind. That's a good guess. Um, think of like more like three different types of practitioners. Oh, the three scopes. No. Kind of. Like the first ones are our listeners. Oh yeah, self means leader. And then Mahayana. Yeah. And then there's just this last thing on your on your homework. There's a colophon to the text where Jason Papa says, I wrote this book. And then Master Nulchu Dharma Bhadra explains where Jason Papa got his name. Do you guys know this? Where he got it? He's from Kampala, right? 
kind of, it is. It kind of is. So, Song means onion, but that's not where his name comes from. It's the name of a river that goes through a Providence in Tibet. And because Jason Kappa was born in that area, that's where his name comes from. So, it's from the Song. Um, so, it's a river which runs through the Tibetan Providence of Dokam. So that's just, that's one of the questions on the homework. And the last slide. The meaning of the name Essence of the Ocean of Discipline, of Discipline, um, which is what we're going over. It's a summary of the vows of individual freedom by Jason Hoppe. The essence part means the individual freedom vows are most extraordinary, essential core of Vinaya. More precious than a wish-fulfilling jewel. Ocean is understanding in detail the principles of Vinaya and its great structure is similar to the ocean's depth and richness from whence come precious jewels. That's what the people of Tibet believed. The precious jewels came from the ocean. Discipline, you tame or dulwa, your sense organs and mental afflictions. The idea of the ocean, to get to the bottom of it, you'd have to devote a lot of time and study. learning why you shouldn't hurt others, why you're allowed to do dancing at some times, like we went over. And to really grasp all the fine points, it's like an ocean. And I kind of just said this, but the ocean is famous in Tibet for being the source of all jewels. The most essential jewel of all is the wish-giving jewel, or Yeshe Norbu. If you rub it a certain way and put it in a certain place, then you get anything that you want. And he ends the class by saying or talking about that we can't imagine how amazing it would be to keep these vows and the things that we will get. Ultimately, he says, we really cannot imagine it. We have to take them and keep them, and then things will happen that nobody could ever describe to us. And close it, to close, just rejoice and think, how many people get a really good Vinaya class in America? Probably very, very few. And really appreciate what could happen as you've already taken the these vows, but to keep them really well, and we're really fortunate to have taken them. So rejoicing and doing these things enhances it a lot, and just thinking about how lucky we are to be able to study these things and have a place to do it, and a really clear, strong lineage to study, because these, these subjects are not clear to start. It's because of the kindness of Geshe Michael and his teacher before him that we can understand these things so well because this particular lineage speaks to us in a way that others don't. So 
So we could go and study this somewhere else and have no idea what they were talking about. So it's really a huge kindness. I mean, Gisha Michael's been teaching for so long and he, he's still teaching. And he's, he taught so much. He taught 18 courses, 180 classes, or they actually do 11 classes. They do a, a study and review session and then 18 tantric courses. And he's still teaching. So it's like this amazing gift. And he taught all of that. And Lama Ami is teaching all of that too. So it's really amazing to have people like that in our world who are spending their whole lives doing this, really, their whole lives. How old was he when he started? I don't know when he started teaching. I think he's, I think he's in his late 50s now or 60s. And they started these classes where I believe in the mid-90s. So that was like 20 years ago. Maybe he was like 40 or something, or mid-30s. Yeah. Let me see what the meditation is for this week, and we can end with a meditation. Do you guys have any other questions? Oh dang, it was working. So just the internet, the, and then it stopped. So just the dedication to the freedom is not able to do other vows. I mean just No, you can do you can do other vows. But this class was on the was on the freedom vows and we talked about I think last time that there's like like the absolute perfect way to take all the vows would be to take each one, you know, like freedom vows, the refuge vows, bodhisattva, all of that and have give yourself time to focus on each one. But you can also take them all together and focus on them. But this class we're just talking about the freedom vows, that's why we were mentioning that. Hey, well, it's working now. That's nice. Okay, we'll do the meditation for this, for this class. Any other questions? Bodhisattva vows too. So good. Okay. Okay. Bringing your shoulders up to the ears together behind you, letting them relax down the back. Just 
relaxing the physical body again. And go of any tension in the brow or the forehead from thinking. The jaw and the mouth, the tongue. quick scan down the body, coming back to that relaxed state that we had in the first meditation. Widening your lens of awareness to include the whole body. Imagine what it will be like when you reach nirvana. The permanent end of mental afflictions based on the individual analysis, which means you've seen emptiness directly. What would that be like? completely content all the time. Nothing ever destroys your peace of mind. Imagine going through your life that way. Doesn't matter what's happening outside. Mind is completely at peace. Unshakable.
what would it be like? What would be the difference to be a full Buddha, fully enlightened? You can see all times at once. Your body is transformed into a body of light. And out of this a deep, deep desire to help others, you're sitting in your Buddha paradise and sending emanations to this whole world that you're taking care of. There's no trying or effort involved. It's just naturally flowing. the cycle of suffering of birth, death, rebirth over and over and over. Ever help anyone needs, you can see exactly the direction they need to go and you help them get there. Just naturally, without any effort, you don't have to think about it. Just flows. from that place of yourself as an enlightened being. We'll end with our closing prayers. Shukunanda, Shingma, Chupa, Shuk, Idam, Guru, Radna, Mando.
Thank you. 